for class five, we are discussing dogs, swine, and trees. And uh, you perhaps saw two of those things in the verse that we just read. We have the dogs and the swine, and we will be getting to the trees shortly. Uh, now, before we go through our outline, I just want to say I feel like what we are discussing here, as far as judging and anger, I feel like this is really um, an extremely helpful thing to be considering right now. Now, I don't know if this is um, how how people feel in Canada, but at least in, in California and in the United States, as far as things are going with COVID, uh, people have different comfort levels for different things. You know, there, there might be a regulation that the government has given, and so people say, well, we're going to follow this regulation. Other people say, well, you know, I don't feel like I necessarily need to follow this. And so the other group that feels like you should feels frustrated with that group. And, and it's very interesting seeing, you know, how this is playing out in front of us today. And I think that considering this subject of judgment and anger is huge for us because this is a time in which it's very easy, since we're physically distanced, to try and separate ourselves by judgment, you know, by saying, oh, well, we follow the law or, you know, our family is going to follow what the law says and they're not. So, well, you know about them. You know, we thought they were, well, we thought they were faithful and, you know, they cared what the Bible said, but they don't follow the law. So there you go. Yeah. And we have to realize we can't judge like that. Now, can we say you should follow the law? Yes. Right. We're, we're told scripturally that it's important to follow the law. Can we judge people's motives, though? There's things that we don't know. Maybe there's a good reason that they aren't doing that. You know, we ought to obey God rather than men. So I think that that's a very crucial thing to think about. We can't judge each other in this. Okay, so uh, very timely, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So here we are. We are in class number five, dogs, swine, and trees, and we finally get to see that awesome, cute little pig picture. So I hope that you are excited about that. That's going to come up, you know, in about 10 slides or so. <clears throat> so get ready for that. But that's not really the whole point of what we're doing. First of all, we've been talking about how judging is part of God's character, but not part of ours. That's not what we're allowed to do. Instead, we replace it with humility, because ultimately judging comes from pride. Now, what we saw today in the exhortation is that it's legalism and idolatry. So this is really, you know, the dark side of judging. <laughs> Often when we judge, we think, whew, I'm doing good. You know, I'm, I am upholding the truth and showing people that this isn't how you should do things. And yet, actually, the Lord Jesus says, no, you're actually engaging in legalism and idolatry, things that I hate. So that's helpful to know, right? <laughs> you know, that's a big difference. And what we're going to see in this class is that by judging, we are making a declaration that we've judged ourselves. And that judgment is that we aren't following Christ. And now that's very, very serious, right? I think this shows us that this is something that we have to get out of our lives. And that's why, uh, you know, for me, I really, I really appreciate it when I'm asked to give this series because it's the kind of thing that you have to remind yourself of over and over. When we judge, we are making a statement that we are not following Christ. So here's the plan 
for today. We're going to talk about dogs and swine. We're going to talk about their fruit, which sounds really weird. I should have said that in a different way. I'm talking about their fruit as in the fruit of the trees. I should have said trees fruit, not dogs and swines fruit, because that, that doesn't make sense. So, so this is dogs and swine is the first section, then a tree's fruit, and then false prophets. So that's, that's what we're going to go into here. Okay, our core message is judging declares that we aren't following Christ. And here's the question I want you to think about. There's actually two. So, you know, you get like a double deal here on this one. Have you ever wondered why the Lord Jesus in Matthew 7 verse 1 says, judge not that you be not judged. And then just a few verses later in verse 6, he says, give not that which is holy to dogs. So you look at that and you think, okay, well, I'm not supposed to judge. But clearly, there's something that the Lord Jesus is referring to as a dog and a pig. But if I'm not supposed to judge, how do I know what a dog and a pig is? And uh, when I don't give that which is holy to the dogs and the pigs, aren't I judging people as dogs and pigs? Right? It, it, it's one of those things where you look at that and you're like, hmm, how is this supposed to fit together? And then, you know, I think the way that we generally interpret this is that Jesus essentially was telling his disciples not to preach to people, which really makes that confusing. You know, like, oh, those people are just dogs. They're not going to be interested in the message anyway, so don't preach to them. And that gets real confusing <laughs> because, uh, you know, that's just not the example that we see in Acts. So there's our verse. Give not that which is holy to the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet them again and rend you. Now, I don't think it's an accident that both dogs and pigs were considered unclean animals. And therefore, when I was saying that's not the example we see in Acts, think about this. Do you remember when Peter had his vision, right? This was just before he went to go see Cornelius. He had his vision on the rooftop and a sheet was let down with all kinds of unclean animals. And it said, arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. And he's told, you remember? What God has cleansed, do not call common. She goes back up, comes down again. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. So he sees all these unclean animals, which probably, I mean, you know, the like poster child unclean animals, a pig, right? That's what, whenever anybody says unclean animal, you think of a pig. And, and uh, I mean, dogs were the same kind of way. So dogs and pigs were probably in this sheet. I, I don't think, you know, it seems pretty short to me. And so this is how Peter interprets that vision. So he sees a vision of probably containing dogs and pigs that are these unclean animals. And Peter interprets it like this, Acts 10, verse 28. He said unto them, ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation, right? Because he understood them before as being unclean. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So Peter says, this vision has taught me that even these dogs and pigs that I saw in the sheet, they're not actually unclean. Now, Peter didn't say, so that told me, you know, I can go eat bacon now, right? That, that wasn't the point. The point was, that tells me that people aren't unclean. So in other words, if we are interpreting this, Matthew chapter seven, verse six, 
as being some people are just dogs and pigs, and so therefore we shouldn't preach to them. That totally contradicts Acts. Okay, so we got to try and figure out what is actually going on here. So let's talk about dogs. All right. Well, as always, <laughs> Christ's words, I think, came from the Old Testament. So let's go ahead and go back to Exodus chapter 22. So he says, do not give that which is holy to the dogs. So if we turn to Exodus chapter 22, I think we'll see where Christ's words come from. Just listen for it here. Exodus chapter 22, we're going to start at verse 29. Listen for, do not give that which is holy to the dogs. Exodus 22 verse 29 says, Thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits and of thy liquors, and the firstborn of thy sons shalt thou give unto me. Likewise shalt thou do with thine oxen, with thy sheep. Seven days it shall be with the dam, and on the eighth day thou shalt give it me. And ye shall be holy men unto me. Neither shall ye eat any flesh that is torn of beasts in the fields. Ye shall cast it to the dogs. So notice you have the holy there, right? You shall be holy men unto me. And God says, so therefore you won't eat any flesh that's torn of beasts in the field because that flesh would, by the way, be unclean. So he says, since you're holy, you're not going to take the flesh that's unclean. Instead, you're going to give that which is unclean to the dogs. So I think the Lord Jesus is essentially summarizing this verse when he says, don't give the holy to the dogs. Now, what's interesting about this is I think we often interpret the holy as being about the gospel. But did you notice what it is in this verse? It's you. You shall be holy unto me. So I think, first of all, what we're being shown is that the thing that's holy that the Lord Jesus is talking about maybe isn't the gospel and instead is a reference to people. So what's being told to us is those things that were holy were to be given to God. The flesh that was torn of beasts would be cast to the dogs. Okay, there we go. All right, I got too much stuff in here. Let's just skip a few of these things. Okay, so according to this, what is that which is holy? Well, I don't think it's the gospel, but it seems to be the people. Now, I want to reinforce this with you a little bit. If you look at Matthew 7, verse 6, what we just read, the word holy there is hagios. Hagios means holy in Greek. Uh, you know, in case you're familiar with the, the big church in Istanbul, used to be Constantinople, Hagia Sophia. There you go. It's holy. <laughs> hagios is holy. There's your, uh, your Strong's number. And it's actually translated 61 times as saints. So I think that that's important to recognize that this word is connected to the believers. So I'm not saying, you know, that, that we should translate this as do not give the saints to the dogs. <laughs> I don't think it should be translated that way. You know, the grammar doesn't really allow for that. But what I'm trying to say is that this word is very much connected to believers. And I think in understanding this verse, that's really our first step. We have to get rid of this idea that, oh, Jesus is saying, don't give the gospel to these people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't give the ecclesia to these people. Hmm. Now, the pearls are really the same. And this is where I think just reading it carefully is helpful. Do you notice the Lord Jesus says, do not cast your pearls before swine. Now, I think 
right off the bat there, we can say, oh, yeah, that's not a reference to the gospel. Because the gospel is the pearl of great price. And yet the Lord Jesus is talking about pearls. Now, either he's saying that we have multiple gospels that we're preaching, which would, by the way, be bad, right? Or he's talking about something else. So I would suggest then the reason that he says pearls is because this isn't about the gospel. This, again, is about believers. Now, if you look at Revelation 21, verses 9 through 12, I think we have an indication that pearls represent the ecclesia. Again, so we have there, Revelation 21, this is a vision of New Jerusalem. It says, There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. So he's going to see the bride, the lamb's wife. And what does he see? He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, notice this next part. Pay attention to the gates. And had a wall, great and high, and had 12 gates. At the gates, 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So here you have the bride. The bride has 12 gates. And on those gates are written the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. In other words, these gates represent the believers. And collectively, together, they form the city of New Jerusalem. Okay. Now, if you just skip a little ahead in this chapter into verse 21, notice what you're told. So we already established these gates represent the believers, right? It says, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. The street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. And so what we have is that here's these gates that represent believers that are made out of pearls, right? Because pearls represent the believers. Now, just to show you, you know, I didn't make this up. <laughs> here's a nice eureka quote from you. Brother John Thomas says, the 12 gates in the wall are the gates of the entrance into the city from the east, north, south, and west, from whence are gathered all upon whom the name of the city is engraved by the Spirit. Okay, so he says, these gates represent the people that have the name of New Jerusalem written on them. In other words, believers. The names written upon the pearls show that the gates are representative of the tribes of the sons of Israel, and that consequently, the members of the New Jerusalem community i.e. Gentiles, become such by adoption into the commonwealth of Israel. So what we're reading here, the gates represent the Israelites, and we've joined the commonwealth of Israel, right? We're not strangers from the covenants of promise anymore. So these gates represent us. So in other words, that which is holy and pearls represent the family of faith. So that's my suggestion to you, that as we come to this verse, and the Lord Jesus says, do not give that which is holy to dogs, cast not your pearls before swine. He's not talking about the gospel. So, you know, that question that we had of why would Jesus say, don't preach the gospel to people? Well, he didn't. <laughs> I think that's the answer. He didn't actually say that. Instead, what he's saying is, do not give ecclesial members over to dogs or pigs. Which should then prompt us to ask another question. <laughs> Well, what's that mean, <laughs> right? You know, how, how do we give, how do we give ecclesial members to dogs and pigs? 
Okay, so let's try and figure that out. Well, let's talk about some dogs. Now, in Jewish society, being called a dog was probably one of the like absolute worst things that you could be called. Um, first off, they were unclean, as we said. There's a verse to support that up, to support that for you, Leviticus 11:27. So dogs are unclean. Uh, in addition to that, they are compared like to prostitutes, and some people even came up with the idea that that like a dog was a male prostitute. Uh, so, you know, this was like a very insulting kind of thing to be called. Um, now, I don't think it means that. Uh, I think what we're doing here, though, is it's just giving us the idea that the price of a dog, you know, like selling a dog was just kind of a gross kind of thing because dogs back then were considered really filthy and unclean. So let's talk about why. Unlike today, dogs were not pets, right? They were wild scavengers, and they were actually known, at least biblically, for eating human flesh, <laughs> which is really gross, right? So, I mean, this is what you see. If you just look up dogs and you go through the Old Testament, basically, you see dogs eating people. <laughs> like, that, that's what goes on. Like, like, I mean, no wonder why they were classified as being really gross. Like, that's just what they did. They went around and they ate people. So here's just some references for you. Um, out of the 31 times that Kelev, the name dog, right, is used, Kelev, out of those 31, 10 times are about dogs eating people and licking their blood. Uh, you know, to just, like, add to the level of grossness. It's not just eating people, it's licking up their blood. So, I mean, basically, we're talking, like, one-third, right? 30% of the times that dogs are talked about, this is what they're doing. Now, in fact, just to give you a little bit of historical context, Josephus actually writes the same thing. Twice in his books, he writes about how dogs were eating people. Now, just to top it off, to, to you know, make their grossness even worse, multiple times in scripture, once in the Old Testament, once in the New, it talks about how they eat their own vomit. Now, I mean, you probably know that, right? If you have a dog, you have that experience. <laughs> when your dog grows up and you're like, oh, come on, that's gross. <laughs> and, they, and they're doing that. But I mean, you know, we overlook that sometimes, right? Because we're like, oh, you're cute. You cuddle with me, all these things. But biblically, no, actually, dogs are just gross. Like that's, that's how it works, biblically. Okay. Now, when you start looking at the details of some of these references, what you see is that dogs, on top of just being gross, are the people that devour. So, as I mentioned, they're always eating people. So look at this in Psalm 22, right? Even when they're not eating people, they're threatening that. Psalm 22 says, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. And so you get the sense that dogs want to consume the psalmist and the Lord Jesus as he applies this psalm to himself. Psalm 59, verses 5 to 7. Thou therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors. Ah, there's some imprecation there. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouths. Swords are in their lips. For who, say they, doth hear? And so here's people again who want to, the context of this psalm is, is when Saul is watching the house to take David. And so David says those people that want to consume him, attack him, are like dogs. 
And final one in the New Testament, the apostle says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. And so he's talking about the Judaizers here as dogs because they wanted to devour the Gentiles. So in the context of this parable of Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, who would these dog-like people be? Right? They're people who want to devour the ecclesia. So we're being told, do not give ecclesial members to these people who want to devour. Well, my suggestion to you is that seeing as the Lord Jesus has just told a parable about judging and said, judge not that you be not judged, but with the judgment that you judge, you shall be judged. I think the Lord Jesus has just taken verse two. With what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. With what measure you meet, it shall be meted to you. I think the Lord Jesus has just taken verse two and applied it. And he says, don't give the ecclesia to people like that. If there's somebody out there who's judging people by their actions, judging their characters by their actions, the Lord Jesus says, that's not acceptable in my ecclesia. My ecclesia will not be made up of people like that, he says. So who are dogs? Well, dogs are the people who judge. And by judging, they have condemned themselves. And the Lord Jesus judges them, right? With the judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And he says, you know what? If that's what you're going to do, I'm going to judge you by your actions. You're a dog. There's the picture. <laughs> All right. Now, here's the word pig in Hebrew. It's chazir, which is a cool word because you get to make that awesome guttural sound. Chazir. There's your Strong's number. It's only used seven times. Uh, this is your, your pig in Greek, which, by the way, also has that same sound. It's choiros. <laughs> and uh, uh, there's your Strong's number. And that's used 14 times. Now, I just wanted to say I, I made a mistake in the exhortation in which I had said um, that the word for beam, I think it was beam. No, the word for moat was only used 14 times. I was confused. It's this word, choiros, that's only used 14 times. Okay, so these are your words for pig in scripture. That's kind of hard to figure out what a pig represents considering that it's used 21 times in the Old and New Testament together, right? And usually when it's being used, it just has to do with, you know, don't eat pigs kind of thing. But like dogs, they do appear to be violent. So if you look at Psalm 80 verses 12 through 14, here's what it says. Why hast thou then broken down her hedges? It's talking about Jerusalem so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her. The boar out of the wood doth waste it, and the wild beast of the field doth devour it. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine. So it says that the boar wastes the city. So you get this idea that both dogs and pigs are unclean and violent towards God's people. And I think we can also reinforce that just in the context of the parable. Because in Matthew 7, 6, Jesus says, Cast not your pearls before swine, lest they turn and trample you, right? So you get the idea, you know, these aren't nice, cute pigs. These are serious pigs that are going to run you over. So the dogs eat people, right? The pigs will trample people. And so I think we get this sense that the dogs and pigs then are the people who are judging. Now... I want to support this a little bit further because 
again, I think the proof at this point is a little tenuous. So if you go back to Matthew chapter 7, I want us to notice what Jesus says. I think we often miss this link, probably because, uh, you know, we're often spending time on verse 6 just trying to figure out why we aren't supposed to preach to people. And, and if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 7, notice this. In Matthew 7 and verse 15, the Lord actually talks about dogs again. And so I think that this helps us understand what he's referring to. Matthew 7, 15, he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. So look at this. He has just said, False prophets are dogs, right? I mean wolves, but come on. Back then, dogs and wolves, same thing. So inwardly, they're ravening wolves. Okay, so he said false prophets are dogs. So now he's explained to us what the dogs are. And you might think, well, false prophets, that really doesn't actually have to do with judging. Well, I actually think it does. And so as we go through this, let's take a look. So right after saying this, after saying, you know, beware, the Lord explains how they would tell who a false prophet is. Look at what he says. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits he shall know them. And I think that that we often really, uh, I'm sorry, wait a minute, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Well, I'm going to say it anyway here right now because I think it fits. We, uh, I think we often struggle with what this verse means. I think on one hand, I've had people tell me, well, you'll know them by their fruits. Therefore, look at the Christian church down the street. Look at how many people it helps. So we should acknowledge that they are not false prophets and instead are actually part of the family of faith. And that doesn't seem right. I think we're going to prove that that's not right. And on the other hand, I've, I've had people say, well, your fruits are your children. So if your children don't stay in the truth, then you're a bad tree. And that's awesome. <laughs> that's also not right, right? Like, like you look at these two things and you say, well, I can kind of see how you got this from here, but I really don't think that's what this is saying. And this is why it's really important for us to read scripture contextually to recognize, well, what is Jesus talking about in this chapter? And what he's talking about is judging. So I would suggest to you then that somehow this whole tree fruit thing has to do in some way with judging, which just to put it out there, the way that we interpret this verse very clearly judges people. <laughs> like the way that we usually interpret this. So, so I think that's important to notice that, you know, the typical interpretation really ignores the context because we start judging people all over the place. Oh, look, I can see your fruit. Well, you're not really a follower of Christ. Like, no, that, that is not what this is saying. Now, just to really support the fact that this is about the parable and this is about judging, look at Luke 6. This is Luke's version of it. It says here, Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. 
It's the parable, right? Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Oh, now look at what happens. Look at what follows directly on the heels of the parable. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So what we're being told here is the Lord Jesus is interpreting his own parable. He says, here's the parable of the moat and the beam. And by the way, this stuff about trees is the same topic. These are both about judging. And so when we look at this trees and figuring out, you know, you can figure out who a false prophet is based on their fruit. Somehow that has to relate to judging. Okay, here's the part that I'm saying that's not right. This is the slide that I meant to say that other stuff on. Okay, that I should move that around next time. Okay, so how do we understand this then? How do we understand this stuff about trees relating to judging? You know, we, I think we've established it has to relate to judging somehow contextually, but how? I think James helps us quite a bit. Now, James is highly based on the Sermon on the Mount. So, you know, I, I really encourage you to check that out because it's really interesting to see the parallels. And in James 3, verses 8 to 12, you'll notice that he has something very similar to this stuff about trees. So, and I think that that's based on the Sermon on the Mount. So James is interpreting this for us. He says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? There it is, right? It's the same thing. You'll know them by their fruit. And James is saying, hey, this fruit isn't matching the tree here. It's the same thing. And yet, do you see what James is talking about? It just so happens that James's context is the same context as the Lord's. Now, that's not an accident, right? The Lord Jesus is talking about judging people. James is talking about cursing people, which is the same thing. And so what this is telling us then is that when the Lord says you'll, you'll know them by their fruits, what he means, in other words, is not their children. He doesn't mean necessarily all their actions. What he means is their words. And specifically, whether or not they are judging people. That's the fruit. That is how we see the false prophets, the Lord is saying. That's how we see the dogs, the pigs, by their words. So, Christ's followers watch for those who reveal themselves as bad trees, and they reveal themselves by perpetual judging.
Well, that person does that, so therefore, that's who they are. And that person does that, therefore, that's who they are. Those judgments. And so that's what we can end up doing. If we give in to judging, if we let that become our character, we become a dog, a pig, and a bad tree. And the Lord Jesus says, and that makes you a false prophet, and you have no part in that which is holy. Now, to support this, because I acknowledge, you know, we might be thinking, whoa, this is very different than what I've ever thought of. Do you know that the Lord Jesus actually brings up this tree thing one other time? So Matthew chapter 12, just after he was accused of, uh, by the Pharisees of casting out demons by Beelzebub. So just after that, he says to them, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? Now, that's very interesting because you know what they just did to him. They said, you cast out demons by Beelzebub. In other words, they just judged him. And he says, oh, do you know what issue just happened here? The problem is, is that I can actually judge you. And I'm telling you that you're evil. So how can you possibly speak these good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he says, look, I'm telling everybody, you're a bad tree. Why? Because they just judged. And so the Lord says, that the way that we can be seen as a good tree or bad tree is from what our mouth speaks. Whether or not we're out there judging people. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Thus you get Matthew 12, verse 36. Have you ever read this verse and wondered what is going on in this verse? I mean, this verse used to freak me out. Matthew 12, verse 36, it says there, Matthew 12, 36, but I say unto you that every idle word that men speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. And you know what? I used to freak out about this because I thought, oh man, you know, I just, I just asked that, uh, that brother over there at this ecclesial gathering, whether his car has a 5.3 liter engine or a six liter engine, like that's an idle word. You know, that, this is telling us the only thing we can ever talk about ever, ever, ever is scriptural things, right? So, you know, that was an idle word. And, you know, when I stand at the judgment, the Lord Jesus is going to ask me, well, why'd you talk about engine sizes at that point? You know, what was the deal with that? And I'd have to say, you know, I'm sorry, like I shouldn't have done that. And, and yet, like, I don't think that's actually what that's saying. Because when you look at it in the context here, the Lord Jesus is talking about judgment that comes from our mouth. In other words, when we stand in front of him, what he's going to judge us on is whether or not we were judging other people. And now we've come full circle, right? Because isn't that what Christ says? Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. That's what he's talking about with the dog, swine, and trees. He's saying, look, you, you judged yourself already. And you're going to have to stand in front of me and explain why you were judging other people by their actions. And so that's why I think 
Newer translations translate this as every careless word. When you let your mouth slip and say, oh, that person, that's who they are. I've already figured that out based off of how they live. By your words, you shall be justified, and by your words, you shall be condemned. And so we come to this false prophet idea then, right? I think this is the last thing that we have to harmonize. Why does Jesus call these people who judge false prophets? Well, here's why. Because when we judge, we are corrupting the ecclesia with a wrong way of thinking. And that's why the Lord Jesus says, do not give that which is holy to the dogs. So I think that this is something really, really crucial because unfortunately, you know, as human nature is, uh, we have this desire to just judge other people, right? And a desire to often see the problem in other people other than ourselves. And so if we belong to a group of people that tends to like to be more on the liberal side of faith, we like to judge those on the conservative side and say, oh, well, you know, they're just Pharisees. They all, they're always judging me for the way I live, you know, the fact I didn't wear a tie or whatever. <laughs> and then on the liberal end there, What's funny is we've just judged the conservative side. And I think it goes back and forth like that. You know, if you're more conservative, maybe sometimes you do judge the people who are more liberal. And so what I'm trying to bring out here is that in fact, we, we use these labels sometimes of, oh, I'm more liberal, oh, I'm more conservative. And I think that's actually kind of silly because the point is, is that we actually all have this issue of judging. So in the final section here on false prophets, I want you to notice something. The Lord Jesus referred to these people as false prophets, these people who judged. And it's very interesting that Peter and Jude also talk about false prophets. But I think we're going to see something very different. The Lord Jesus was combating the Pharisees, right? Those that we would say are more legalistic and those that, you know, the liberal side likes to say are more conservative. Well, Look at what happens here. Do you know that Peter and Jude have this long diatribe against certain false prophets that have entered into the ecclesia? Jude doesn't call them false prophets. He calls them certain men crept in unawares. I think it's the same idea. And in fact, I would suggest to you that Peter and Jude's words here are actually based on the Sermon on the Mount. So you can see this false prophet connection. Here's another one. The Lord Jesus says, inwardly, they're ravening wolves, and Peter refers to them as natural brute beasts. Jude refers to them as brute beasts. So I think you can see, again, a similarity there. The Lord Jesus refers to them as trees that don't bring forth good fruit. And, well, here's what Jude says. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit. And I'm, I mean, to me, that sounds like trees that don't bring forth good fruit, right? Same idea. Here's another. It's happened unto them, Peter says, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Do you notice something interesting about that verse? Because it just so happens that this is the only other verse, aside from Matthew 7, 6, 
that brings together dogs and pigs. And it also just so happens that just as the Lord Jesus was referring to false prophets, so is Peter. So I would suggest to you then that both Peter and then Jude, Jude is based on Peter here, both Peter and Jude are using Matthew 7 as their basis. Now, here's why this matters. The Lord Jesus was targeting who? He was targeting the Pharisees, those that, you know, the liberal camp would like to say were the more conservative group. And yet, look at the problem that Peter's facing. He says he's facing problems. These people, these false prophets, are them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Now, that doesn't sound to me like a group having problems with legalism. This group is rioting in the daytime. They're having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. He says, through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled and overcome. This sounds, in fact, like people who are living too liberally. Jude says the same thing. These people are turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Let us sin that grace may abound. Now, here's what I think is fascinating. The Lord Jesus is talking about Pharisees, which get associated with the more conservative movement. Peter and Jude are talking about those who sin that grace may abound, which is associated with the more liberal movement. In other words, what scripture is telling us is that these false prophets are anybody that judges. Everybody has an issue with this. We can't just say, oh, this is just an issue, you know, that those conservative people have to figure out. Oh, this is just an issue with those liberal people that they have to figure out. No, this is a human problem. And so we might as well just drop those labels, huh? because in fact, this is something that we all have to work on. We all judge. And when we give in to judging, when we let that become who we are, we've declared that we would rather judge than be part of that which is holy, than be part of the pearls. Because in our judgment, we're turning and trampling those pearls. And so I hope that that can bring forth to us how serious this is. That yes, we can say something is bad, something's not bad. We can say this is a, a good action, a not good action. And we can talk to brothers and sisters about that. Hey, I saw you do this. And I don't think that was good. I mean, and, and you know, disfellowship is part of that. So I'm not saying in any way, you know, that, that disfellowship is wrong. But I think that if we see ourselves as judging someone's character, this person is like this, or, oh, I know why they did that, because they're this kind of person. Then we've actually judged ourselves. We become a false prophet. We become a dog, a pig, and a bad tree. And we've declared that we're not following the Lord. So what do we do then? How do we put these things behind us? You can't just have willpower and just say, well, I'm never going to judge again. Because we can't, right? So what do we do? Well, think about what the Lord says next. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. He then says, verse 7, I mean, isn't this awesome? 
that these are the words that follow this condemnation. The Lord says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. And I think this is huge for us in understanding this contextually again. This is not the Lord Jesus saying, you know, if you really want a boat, pray for a boat and God will give you one. And I think so many people misunderstand what's going on here. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you don't want to be a pig, pray that God will help you not be one. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone, right? This is, this is the example here. He says, you know that your son needs bread. You'll give it to him, won't you? And so God, when we pray, help me to not judge, to stop, to get this out of my mind, won't God help you with that? Won't God help his children knowing that there's no other way we can do it? That we have a beam coming through our head and the only way to survive this is miraculous intervention? Or if you ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? That's the solution. And so this whole chapter, really, teaches us about judging. The Lord Jesus explains why we have to put it away. He explains to us the solution, that we earnestly pray that God will take it away from us. And he, he even explains later on in the chapter, in verse 21, in that parable, that he's the judge. This whole chapter is all about judging. And I think when we can frame it in that way, the way then that this Sermon on the Mount ends is incredibly beautiful. Because it tells us that if we can pray to not judge, if we can pray to put that away and instead replace it with humility, that when the storms come and the floodwaters rise and we stand before the throne of judgment, that the Lord Jesus will look at us and as he says, we will never be moved. Amen.